Hello. I think I've told the story before of how I, a middle-aged Welsh housewife, came to ghostwrite the autobiography of a New York cop. But I've not really told you anything about him, and he has a great story. So today I thought I'd pick out and read a few extracts from his book to give you a flavour of it and him. His name is Mike DeSanza, or Mikey as he was usually known, of Italian-American heritage and a Roman Catholic background. As I discovered when I went to New York to meet with Mike and record more of his story, he is very single-minded, focused on evangelism, rather as I imagine the Apostle Paul would have been, though I could picture the Apostle Peter, say, sitting back and having a few laughs with his friends over a good meal. I get the impression that a meal with Paul would have been much like listening to a sermon. That's probably unfair of me, but maybe it's what it takes to be truly effective in whatever you choose to do. It has to be your priority, your wholehearted passion. One little example from our New York trip. In Times Square, in the heart of the city, there is a booth that sells last-minute theatre tickets at reduced prices. Even before it opens early afternoon, the queue builds up, and that was where husband and I found ourselves hmm, stuck with Mikey. I say stuck because we wanted to see a show and queuing was the only option. Have you ever been on a bus or train and the seat next to you gets taken by a chatty person? They tend to be loud as well as chatty, and you are stuck with them for the duration of your or their journey. Well, being in Times Square with Mikey was a bit like that. In a very loud voice, he began talking about Daniel and his dreams and what they mean for us today. And I can't remember exactly what else, because I've tried to wipe this from my memory. While we would have been happy to stand there, people watching and revelling in being in the heart of the Big Apple, for Mikey it was a golden opportunity to preach. I suppose I should be glad he didn't get out his bullhorn. That said, it's undeniable that Mikey had a big effect on the lives of many. Sadly, he died in 2014, and as his obituary said, he loved the Lord with his whole heart and soul. Mike DeSanza was born in the Bronx to hard-working but impoverished parents. He writes, We went to confession on Saturdays and Mass on Sundays. There seemed to be rules and regulations concerning everything I did. I soon learned that if I did wrong and died without making confession, I would go to hell. The fear of it overwhelmed me. Like any normal kid, I was constantly doing wrong, and it was a real worry for me that I would die before I had the chance to confess my sins. One of the rules Mikey learned was that it was wrong to eat meat on a Friday. Now every Sunday the family would have meatballs for lunch, and because she worked on a Saturday, Mikey's mum would make the meatballs on the Friday and freeze them ready. One Friday, Mikey came home from school and found that his mother had forgotten to freeze the meatballs and had left them out. Mikey's mouth watered. His mum's meatballs were so good. So he took one. And after he'd eaten it, he remembered it was Friday. He was first in line for confession the next day. But he said, I was coming to think of God, if he existed at all, as someone who was out to get me. I had no peace, no certainty of my salvation. I knew I could never hit the mark and stop going to confession as often. As soon as he could, Mikey got a paper round to earn some money. 
part of that job involved collecting payment for the week's papers. He was in the process of this one evening when a gang pounced on him, pushed him into an alley and beat him up. He needed about seven stitches afterwards, but there was one wound no one could mend. I was filled with hatred. I decided there and then that I would never again be beaten up or be so frightened, and I knew what I had to do. Even today the Bronx has something of a reputation. Back then it was renowned for gang fights and criminality. On the corner of Mikey Street was a clubhouse where small-time gangsters hang out. His mum and dad had warned Mikey to keep away from it, but he was desperate. I pushed open the door and walked in. Then I heard a voice. What do you want, kid? I took a deep breath and said, I want to join your gang. After managing to hold his own in an initiation ritual, Mikey was let into the gang and became what's known as a runner. There were often fights between rival gangs, and even though it wasn't in his nature to be violent, he had no choice but to join in. All the time I knew what I was doing was wrong, but my life was once again controlled by fear. I didn't want to be in the gang, but I didn't want to be outside it either. When he was still in his early teens, a chance encounter with a policeman offered Mikey an alternative. The policeman suggested he join a boxing club, and that became Mikey's refuge, as well as a way he could get out of the gang with honour. But some things never changed. His fear of dying and of hell was as real as ever. Even marriage to Anne and becoming a New York cop working in Harlem didn't change the way he felt. In fact, it got worse. Every time a New York police officer sets out on his beat, he knows it's quite likely he's going to have to tackle incidences of violence, depravity and cruelty. As well as evil, I saw many hurting people, and I had no idea how to help them. Within six months of graduating from police academy, I was a changed man. I was becoming cold-hearted. But inside, I was crying. I'm hurting. Then one night, during a particularly violent tussle, I took a blow to the head. The following day, still weak and dizzy, and suffering from the effects, I was back on patrol in Harlem. His wife Anne had urged him to take sick leave, but Mike was fearful it would be seen as a sign of weakness and he would lose his job. I was standing on a corner when suddenly two caskets appeared in front of me. Laid out in them, dressed in their Sunday best, were my father and mother. Mikey's physical and emotional state was such that he didn't realise the hallucinations were a result of the blow to his head. As it was, even though he'd seen his parents both fit and healthy the day before, he fell to his knees, and with blood dripping from his nose and mouth, he prayed for their souls. An elderly woman knelt beside him and gripped his hand. Mikey stuttered that his parents were dead. She said, I understand, officer, but Jesus is with you. Jesus loves you. As she spoke, the bleeding stopped, but Mikey clung on to her hand, not wanting to let go. The woman stayed talking quietly to him until he felt well enough to stand, and at last he acknowledged he needed to take some time off to recover. The woman had suggested that when he felt well enough he should read the Bible. This was a new idea for Mike. In the Catholic Church he'd grown up in, ordinary people weren't encouraged to read the Bible, and all he'd ever learned of God had come through the priest. 
that the woman had sounded so sure he overcame his doubts and began reading the Gospel of John. Then he reached chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Mike's reaction to this verse was unusual. Oh no, who wants to live forever? All my life I'd lived alongside violence and poverty. If everlasting life meant enduring those conditions forever, I didn't want it. I'd reached the point in life where death looked good because it offered a way out. But he read on. For God did not send Jesus to condemn you, but to save you. These words jumped off the page at night. For anyone growing up in the Bronx, condemnation was part of life. If you lived there, you had no future, you were condemned. As far as I was concerned, I was destined for hell and there was nothing I could do about it. I'd heard of Jesus, but it was always as someone who was out to get me. Now I was reading that Jesus was sent not to condemn me, Mike, but to save me. This was a radical turnaround. Maybe I'd got Jesus wrong. I was ready to acknowledge my need and in a trembling voice I said, Jesus, whoever you are, help me. I sank back in my chair, and a peace I'd never known before came over me. I fell into a deep sleep and dreamed a vivid dream. In front of me I saw two huge wooden doors with a large iron bar across them. The bar slid back, the doors opened and I could hear screaming. Now I'm a New York cop and I've heard some screaming in my time, but this was like nothing I'd ever heard. The screaming was coming from a gigantic pit. I couldn't see the bottom, it was black. I was walking towards the edge of the pit and I knew I was going down into that hole. I knew once you were in that pit you never ever got out, no matter how hard you tried, and I knew that I was going down and it was forever. I was terrified. I was just starting to go down when a hand grabbed me and jerked me out. Next thing I knew I was outside the doors and they were closing. I heard a voice behind me say, you don't belong in there, you belong to me. You will do great exploits for me. I just heard the voice. I didn't see a face, but I knew it was Jesus. And I knew I was on my way, wherever I was going, and it was forever. And that was the turning point in Mike's life. He went on to be one of the founding members of the organisation Cops for Christ, was president of International Cops for Christ, and was a missionary evangelist travelling all over the world, taking the good news of Jesus to cops, prisoners, he was also a prison chaplain, and anyone else who'd listen. Mikey had retired to Florida by the time I met him, so he made a special journey to New York to record some of our interviews. On his way to meet us one day, he stopped to listen to a street preacher. Seeing Mikey was interested, the evangelist spoke to him, and when he heard his story, offered him the microphone. I took the microphone from him and looked around. It was more than 30 years since I'd first taken my bullhorn out onto the streets of Harlem. A lot of things had changed, but some things will never change. I saw people hurrying by, their faces lined, their shoulders hunched. I lifted the microphone to my mouth. Listen up, people. I've got some good news for you. I hope you enjoyed these extracts. There are so many more crazy and unbelievable stories in his book. You can read all about them in A Cop for Christ, published by Hodder, 
and available to buy online. Thank you for listening.